Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. With October looming close and ominous on the horizon, I thought I'd let you know about a little something our friends over at the Wrong Station podcast have cooked up to celebrate the season. If you've never listened to the Wrong Station, you're in for a treat, children of the night. As a fan of this show, I have no doubt you'll enjoy theirs as well. A horror anthology podcast tied together by a pervasive sense of wrongness. And this special October event may be their wrongest venture yet. The maniacal creators behind the wrong station have committed to producing a truly sanity-defying 31 episodes in 31 days for the month of October. That means a fresh, original horror story each and every day, all month long. So if you're up for the challenge, and not afraid to put the integrity of your mind on the line, this is something you absolutely should tune in for. You can start listening to The Wrong Station right now, wherever you find your podcast. And of course, if you'd like to learn more about their show, wander over to thewrongstation.com for a peek at all the twisted goings-on. This week, our hearts are oozing with gratitude thanks to the generous support of our newest patron, Levi. 
Thank you, Levi, for lending your troubled spirit to our twisted menagerie. We appreciate it so very much. And of course, if you'd like to get your piece of the terrors hidden behind the veil, you can join us too. Simply visit patreon.com slash tales to terrify to sign up. And you won't even need to sacrifice your immortal soul. Probably. Speaking of sacrifices, though, we've dropped ours into the cauldron and pulled forth some horrifying offerings I'm sure your fangs are slavering for. Let's dig in, shall we? Our first story for the evening comes from Lila Amato. Lila Amato writes in her second language, lives in her fourth country, and has lost all hope of ever catching up with the undoubtedly important emails in her inbox. Her stories have been published or are forthcoming in Best Small Fictions 2022, Café Irreal, Daily Science Fiction, Cheap Pop, Aphotic Realm, and other publications. In her free time, she can be found staring at the Mediterranean Sea. Occasionally, the sea stares back. Children of the Night, join me for Lila Amado's The Rougarou Doesn't Care About Your Student Loan, a Tales to Terrify original. That feeling, when you first burst through the thicket, thorn bushes like sharp hooks tearing at your shirt, twigs scratching your face and threatening to take your eyes out, and you break into the open field where you run, 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 feet pounding, heart racing, and behind you, too close and getting closer by the minute that thing, monster, beast, abomination, is gaining on you, and you don't dare look back, can't afford a glance over your shoulder at the bounding, bulky shape made of black ink and fury for fear that this turn of the head will cost you a loss in speed, but it's no use, and refusing to look back doesn't save you even a fraction of a second, as the musky smell of matted fur, urine, and dried blood is getting stronger, suffocating and noxious, and you no longer feel your feet, the muscles of your calves gone numb, so inevitably you stumble and lurch head first down into a shallow ditch, your face smashing into the grassy knoll on the other side, just as the claws, sharp and cruel like reaper hooks, lock on your ankle, piercing skin and muscle, and the creature is dragging you back through the undergrowth with a guttural growl, turning and tossing you around like a rag doll, and when the first swipe of the massive claws catches you across the chest, the spurt of arterial blood hits the branches of the tree above your head, splattering the leaves in an arc of crimson and droplets that, in the moonlight, looks like a jagged line of black stains against silver, and you scream, scream, until those monstrous teeth sink into your belly, ripping the viscera and puncturing the lungs, and there's nothing left in your mouth but bubbles of your own blood, and the bloated disc of the moon hovers over the whole scene like a bizarre party balloon, and you think, you think, and you wonder, 
If by the next lunar cycle it will be you crawling out of the freshly dug grave in a far corner of the cemetery in your childhood town, shoveling aside clumps of clay-like earth, all claws and hunger and bristling fur, craving flesh and the sweet, sweet fear in your victim's eyes, or if the tales lie, and this is where your story ends, in some backwater woodland you should have never strayed to in the first place, you with your prescription glasses and unrelenting anxiety and student loans, and who is going to pay those off you? wonder if they never find your body and a death certificate cannot be produced while the Rougarou tearing you up doesn't care about that at all. And at this point in the course of events, neither should you. That was Lila Amato's the Rougarou doesn't care about your student loan, as read by Dennis Robinson. Dennis Robinson is a fellow content creator from the haunted small town of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. When he's not consulting by day, he's one of the founders behind the comedy podcast Botched, a D&D podcast. Found on all of your podcatchers, this is not your average D&D podcast, as they focus more on banter, character interaction, and improv comedy instead of the rules. You can watch their show live or catch up over at twitch.tv slash botchedpodcast. As well as being one of the creators behind Botched, Dennis is also the mastermind behind a graphic novel about the world's first werewolf. Chapter 2 of Lycan Solomon's Odyssey is out now, with the third in the works. If you could check out the project, it would mean the world to him. You can find it now at HiveheadStudios.com or LikenBook.com. Thank you, Dennis. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Our second tale tonight comes from Arecibo Campeche. Arecibo is originally from Puerto Rico and has a PhD in biochemistry and biophysics. He writes science fiction, fantasy, and horror that's often inspired by scientific principles. His work has appeared in Death in the Mouth Volume 1, Latinx Screams, Daily Science Fiction, Tales to Terrify, Weird Book Number 41, and other venues.
listen with me, children of the night, to Arecibo Campeche's Penalties of Entropy, a Tales to Terrify original. Four days before impact. The stars looked like they were melting. Gustavo sat, eyes filled with tears, on the leeward side of the ship, a few inches of high-temperature quartz glass between him and the vacuum of space. The ship's hull creaked and moaned as it left the cold temperatures of empty space. Had there been windows on the other side of the ship, he'd be able to see himself on a crash course with a solar analog, where he'd be killed by either ionizing radiation or cooked to death, depending on how the silica fibers insulating the hull fared. He turned from the window and stood in front of his cluttered lab bench, waiting for a miracle. The physicists at the Nikola Space Station were celebrated as the smartest people in their field and had calculated and recalculated his ship's trajectory, which involved a parabolic route starting from the space station and ending in a distal pickup point, considering every risk and problematic parameter. The ship was on autopilot. There was no manual control, no tweaking its course, no escape. The risk of accidents during these missions was significant, but worth it, at least until an accident actually happened. If he discovered a new organism, Gustavo could get a cushy professor job in any biology department on Earth and spend the next twenty years milking that one time he went to space. Once, the samples on his bench, milligrams of space debris he'd hoped were populated by previously undiscovered microbes, sat dead. After growing dust samples on dozens of rich media, he determined none contained life. This was before he'd found out he'd die on this ship. Gustavo paced around the lab. He cried and screamed for hours, begging to be saved. Between bouts of retching, footsteps echoed behind him. At first, he'd been afraid and locked himself in the bathroom. Later, he made peace with the fact he was hallucinating and did his best to ignore the man that had appeared out of nowhere. Three days to impact. The ship shuddered and woke Gustavo. He'd been asleep for twelve hours, and in three days he'd be dead. Sleeping was a waste of time he could spend looking for solutions. The university would send a search party when they received his emergency probes and maybe find residue of his ship that didn't instantly atomize. They'd declare him deceased. Lisa would cry then struggle to explain to their daughter Joanna what death was, then tell her that Daddy was now dead. Gustavo made his way to the fitness room and ran for as long as he could on the treadmill. The screen in front of him had stopped receiving signals, 
They had probably been distorted by the radiation from the solar analog. There were no more news updates, video calls with Lisa and Joanna, or tongue-in-cheek messages from his boss asking if he'd discovered something to make them famous. Outgoing signals were also blocked as far as he could tell, but he still had to try. After running until his legs refused to continue, he sat in the communication room and tried to hail home. This is Gustavo Pereira. There was an error in my map trajectory. I'm headed for the center of a solar analog. My navigation station burned out, and I can't tell how far this star is from the space station. Tell Lisa and Joanna that... He took a deep breath and cut off the microphone. He'd already spent enough time crying in his messages. He imagined Lisa listening to the recordings over and over after he was dead, hearing his despair wouldn't make it better for her. He bashed the communication console with the fire extinguisher until the instrumentation lay in pieces. Partly, he didn't need it anymore and enjoyed sweating for a bit. But really, he just craved the euphoria that comes from destroying expensive equipment. It was like breaking something that was otherwise unbreakable, not because of the item's constitution, but because who would think of breaking it? He sat back in the chair, catching his breath and reveling in the chaos. He took a moment to enjoy the pleasure of taboo destruction. I'm not a hallucination. I'm a demon, but not in a bad way, so you can stop ignoring me. My name is Pierre. Gustavo dropped an Eppendorf tube, bent down to get it, and hit his head on the lab bench on his way up. I thought you would go away, Gustavo said. I'll go away soon, Pierre said. I know everything. You should enjoy our conversations instead of doing work with the little time you have. How can I save myself? Gustavo asked. There was no way this would work. Engaging with hallucinations was like talking to yourself. There is no way with the time you have left. What do you think you'll miss the most from being alive? Stop talking, Gustavo said, sitting at the LCMS systems computer. What are you looking for? Pierre asked. Claiming he knew everything was ridiculous enough in itself. The fact that Pierre asked so many questions only made the claim stupider. Why ask so many questions if you know everything? Pierre sat at the far end of the lab bench. Gustavo could only see the demon out of the corner of his eye, but he knew he was smiling. Gustavo used a thin steel spatula to scoop up a few hundred micrograms of the space dust he'd collected during his assignment. There were two straightforward explanations for what was happening. Either his mind was trying to give him companionship to soothe the last few days of his life, or the samples were not stored correctly, and he'd been exposed to hallucinogens. Despite having only a few days left, he needed to know. Not knowing was an itch he couldn't ignore. Why don't you tell me what I'm looking for? Gustavo asked. I can't read your thoughts. Pierre stood and shrugged. He was wearing a button-down shirt with the top two buttons open, the sleeves rolled up to the elbow. Instead of a demon, he looked more like an accountant sitting at a bar after a hard day of massaging spreadsheets. That's convenient, Gustavo said. 
He pipetted one milliliter of a one-to-one methanol water solution into the vial containing the dust, tightened the cap, and mixed it using the benchtop vortex. If he was lucky, some of the extracted compounds would hint at Pierre's origins. The problem is I can't see the neurons shooting in your brain. Your mind is a black box. How am I supposed to know things without having access to the initial conditions that led to it? I'm not God. Are you the devil? Gustavo asked, feeling a mixture of embarrassment and cleverness. Pierre laughed. <laughs> not the devil. Is the devil real? Here was a yes or no question that would be in reach of an all-knowing, albeit limited, being. Gustavo was also curious. What if the devil was real and all-powerful and enjoyed hurtling young scientists into their deaths? As real as you or me. Gustavo shook his head, frustrated. Pierre was only questions and riddles. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Ah, are you looking for derivatives of tryptophan or tyrosine that could be making me appear? I can tell you don't feel high. Are you thinking ergots, tryptamines, not cannabinoids? You're not hungry. Pierre's smile broadened like a child who'd been told they'd done a good job. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Good guess. Gustavo turned his back to Pierre, placed the vial on the sample tray and started the mass spectrometer run. Although, you did only guess after I nearly gave it away. Pierre walked closer to the mass spectrometer and leaned forward. What's happening inside is fascinating. Why did you build such a boring container? Despite the complicated physics, the instrument as a whole looked like a plastic box, barely big enough to fit a person in the fetal position. Good question. And interesting, Gustavo said. Why hadn't his brain concocted a hallucination of a beautiful woman in a bikini? Pierre nodded with wide eyes, ignoring his sarcasm. The molecules are separated by polarity as they travel through the liquid chromatography column. They get ionized and the charged radical species break down in an act of chemical violence. I know that. It's a high schooler's description of the process, with a bit of poetry at the end, Gustavo said. Pierre made his way back to the bench and stared at space samples and solvent bottles. I know, you know. The broken molecules smashing into the detector are pieces of your parent molecule. The trick is to be able to reconstruct what you started with. You never actually detect what you started with. Gustavo stood from the computer. I get it. Please stop talking. You know, but you don't understand. Pierre shook his head. What you don't understand is the foundation of how I come to know things. Gustavo remained silent. He was curious as if he really was talking to another person. Was this the last stage of losing his mind? How do you come to know things, then? Pierre locked eyes with him. I have knowledge because there is knowledge in destruction. Pierre followed Gustavo everywhere, even in his dreams. They were sitting in a dark room. The floor was coated in a thick, filmy substance resembling a bacterial biofilm. 
Gustavo knew that if he touched it, his skin would dissolve, mixing his atoms in the biofilm's matrix until the matter composing his body dispersed to form a colloid, as if his atoms were insoluble particles in a turbid suspension with the viscous goop. A square stainless steel table appeared between him and Pierre. This was the same material that made up both of their chairs. On the table was a deck of playing cards still in the box. This deck of cards has never been opened, Pierre said. He crossed his legs into the lotus position on the chair. Gustavo imitated him. The cards were randomized instead of the typical order they're boxed in. I don't have access to their history or how they were made. How much knowledge would I need to have now to tell you which card is in the front? Gustavo swallowed. It's impossible. Exactly. Pierre blew on the deck and it vaporized. The air was foggy with the paper microparticles. The demon squinted and rubbed his hands together, eyes darting around like electrons orbiting an atom's nucleus. It was the Queen of Hearts. Gustavo awoke and recognized that Pierre was his mind's manifestation of Laplace's demon. The demon predicted everything based on previous knowledge. Gustavo couldn't believe such a creature existed. If the sequence of events was knowable, then they were predetermined, set in stone. But he'd chosen his path to discover, to do science. Gustavo was crying so much that the tears got into his mouth and snot ran down his nose. Food tasted saltier and was thicker. Swallowing scrambled eggs was like forcing wriggling worms down his throat. At the same time, knowing that this would be one of his last meals made eating a unique experience. His whole body felt engaged, challenged even, with every bite. This contradiction was probably what the death row inmates described in old novels felt like when having their last meal. Pierre hadn't shown up today. Gustavo missed the demon, a fact which made him uncomfortable. After eating, he sat in his lab and went through the data he'd collected yesterday. The dust sample had thousands of masses in it. Some, like simple hydrocarbons, were easy to identify. A few decades ago, it would have been astonishing to find small peptides or single amino acids floating in space. But after the first microbes, named cosmophiles, were found, no one cared about single molecules. Unless he returned with a new organism, preferably one resembling a single-celled eukaryote, he'd be one more scientist surveying space over and over again, trying to get lucky, sifting through dust, hoping for a career-making biological nugget. Although manned missions had an expiration date, AI was becoming cheap enough that it would replace people soon enough. Today, he felt like making a difference, if not in his own life, maybe in someone else's. There was one rescue probe left. He'd already shot two into space, asking for help, but there was no point. By the time they came looking for him, his ship would have plunged into the solar analog with core temperatures in the tens of millions of degrees Celsius. The probe had enough space for a message containing 2,000 words, and instead of re-detailing his situation, Gustavo wrote a letter to Joanna so she could read it when she was older. The words didn't come, 
He tried to concentrate. Everything sounded like tired cliches. I love you more than all the stars in space. Take care of your mom. I know you'll grow up to be a wonderful woman. You can be whatever you want when you grow up. He deleted, rewrote, deleted again. Instead of what he'd done in life, he considered what he'd never done that would have been worthwhile. What would he have done differently in his life that could serve as honest advice? Since his teen years, he'd been aware, at least at some level, that life was a never-ending series of evaluations. Don't do what I did. Get good grades in high school. Go to a good college, then a good PhD program, then a good postdoc position. I slept in cars, stole toilet paper from university bathrooms. He thought of what else to write, about how, before he knew it, he was living off of beer and cigarettes, how his scientific career came before his health, how his weekends were spent drinking and hungover. But who wanted to read that much whining from the dead? He deleted that and went back to the cliches. At the end, he wrote, You should do whatever makes you happy, whenever it makes you happy. The future is important, but life is short and not worth taking too seriously. He sent the probe. That reads okay to me, Pierre said from behind his shoulder. She'll reference it when she receives her Nobel Prize. Trust me. Two days before impact. Gustavo zipped up his thermal shirt and started donning his spacesuit. The helmet clicked into place, and cool air started flowing from the pack on his back. If he created a large enough explosion after rupturing the fire extinguisher, he might push his ship to safety. Pierre shook his head sadly. This isn't going to work. It's like spitting out the window of a speeding car hoping to give it enough momentum to change course. Stay here. I'll tell you what every single ion is in your data set from yesterday. I'll describe to you every single life form in the universe. The demon followed him to the ladder leading outside. Learning about aliens tempted Gustavo to stay inside. After a pause, he kept climbing. At this point, it was clear that what Pierre wanted was for him to do nothing. Maybe the demon did know of a way that Gustavo could save himself and wasn't telling him. Gustavo had asked dozens of times to only receive noncommittal babble. Knowing everything is not the same as being honest. The timer on Gustavo's wrist read, 45 hours, 17 minutes, 33 seconds. He had almost two days to find out how to escape. In a way, the bleakness of his situation was freeing. Any idea was fair game. The worst that could happen is that he accidentally killed himself and died a couple of hours early. Gustavo stood on the shell plating with the fire extinguisher and drill in hand. The red metal didn't turn frosty, reminding him he was already in the solar analog's grasp. Indeed, the screen on his forearm read 200C. He lay prone on the edge of the ship, hooked the fire extinguisher to the first nook he found, then drilled a hole in it while protecting his face. The extinguisher shattered in a noiseless explosion, propelling metal shards and a spray of CO2. 
He quickly inspected his hand to make sure there were no cuts in his gloves and sat on the hull. He checked the ship's predicted path on the screen covering his forearm. No change. His shoulders slumped. The star he was headed to was the size of a fist in the distance. What looked like whips of fire flayed on the surface. He closed his eyes and squeezed as hard as he could to stop the tears from flowing. Pierre sat beside him, not wearing a spacesuit. I'm curious about the aliens, I admit it. But I'm angry and frustrated, Gustavo said. I don't want to die. What good is knowing if I'll die in two days? Gustavo looked to the stars, thinking about how far they always looked, regardless of where you were in space. It won't always be like that. You can't let go of your ego, but it can be torn from you. Gustavo heard, yet didn't process what Pierre said. I don't want to die, Gustavo said. You'll just change. Day of Impact Yesterday, Gustavo had tried to pull the tall gas tanks in the lab up the ladder, but they were too heavy. Afterward, he poured all the methanol in the lab over the bench, opened the bottles of flammable solvents like hexane and ethyl acetate, then lit the lab on fire. Muffled explosions sounded through the steel door to his bedroom. The ship didn't change course. Hours before impact, Gustavo sat on the floor, his back against the wall. His clothes were soaked in the sweat of stress and heat. Pierre appeared from beside him and sat on a chair, overlooking him. At what age would I have died if I didn't come here? Gustavo asked. Thirty-four, and you died today, Pierre said. Gustavo's fantasy of having had the opportunity to live a different life ended before he could get lost in his imagination. What? he said. Pierre smirked. You die here. It couldn't have gone differently. The reason I know is that the past is the future of another point. What happened before determines what will happen next. Imagine a domino run with no start or end. Gustavo cracked his neck slowly, focusing on the noises his body made. You already said you can't read my mind because neurons fire randomly. If I can't predict my thoughts, how can I predict my actions? You're only one person. If random events happen thousands or even millions of times, there's no way to predict. But when that number is closer to infinite, then the future averages out. Every single moment, there are infinite numbers of events happening, molecules colliding with each other, events entangled with one another. In that movement, there's energy and violence and information. Gustavo was about to ask another question when his hands started itching. Smoke was rising from his palms. His hands turned red. The flesh underneath his epidermis was exposed as if he had washed his hands with acid. In the rising ribbons of gaseous molecules, there was knowledge. Lipid rafts danced in the air 
dissociating to become individual fatty acids that broke down into individual molecules. He breathed in the smoke and knew that there was consciousness in atoms. Pierre was sublimating too. His face looked like God was a frustrated painter and had tried to erase his creation but only managed to smear it across space. Gustavo knew the matter that once composed his body would spread across the universe, the atoms free to tumble in all dimensions, no longer hindered by the enthalpy that pulled his body together. He would meet Pierre again. Perhaps they would be carbon atoms, cis to each other in isoprene, part of a community of millions that form natural rubber, or in a strained three-membered ring that formed cyclopropane. Or maybe they would isomerize as part of the molecule called retinol, alkene bonds interchanging between cis and trans as light hit them to allow vision in mammals. Gustavo could be a hydroxyl on a glucose molecule that drove ATP production in Joanna. He would be her guardian forever, her genius loci. Gustavo knew everything, but there was so much left to feel, untapped dimensions of love and pleasure. He took a deep breath, then exhaled a mist of lungs. That was Arecibo Campeche's Penalties of Entropy, as read by Andrew Gibson. Andrew was pulled feet first from the swamps of South Louisiana, kicking and screaming, and he remains mostly as such to this day. You can find his work on Audible under Andrew Gibson, or, for the more romantically inclined, Blake Lockhart. You can also catch him streaming his recording sessions live in the Narrator Nook and the Haven Discord servers. Links are in the show notes. Thank you, Andrew. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Amanda Carrillo, Lessel Baxter, Orion D. Higra, and Paul Belcher whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks like ad-free episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. 
Why not share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch? TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Meredith Morgenstern, Andrew Gibson, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we twist your view of reality with more Tales to Terrify. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.